There are only four more Sundays until Christmas. How many people are excited? Yeah, there you go. Liam's excited. I like it. This is, uh, if you don't recognize, that's Buddy the Elf from one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies, Elf. Uh, He's a human who's adopted by elves and then finds his way back to New York City uh, and all the, you know growing up he has to do very quickly favorite line is watch out for the yellow cars they don't stop for you uh but uh i christmas is upon us i wanted to kick it off with where i was going to wear my ugly christmas sweater this morning uh but stephanie vetoed that uh she said it would be quote-unquote inappropriate and uh People wouldn't, quote-unquote, take me seriously. So I don't know what that means, but... uh, So I told her, well, then, that means I'm just going to have to wear it more at home. But, uh, yeah. Uh, There's four Sundays left, or four Sundays till Christmas, which means we are officially in Advent. Um, If you grew up in a church like mine, you may be wondering, what is this Advent thing? uh, For me, growing up, Advent was like this kind of thing that happened... Uh, Like, I knew it existed. Uh, It was this season in the church calendar, but other than lighting a couple of candles and maybe reading a passage of scripture here and there, Advent really wasn't anything different than any other time of the year. And so, uh, if you are like me, uh, you may be saying, what is this Advent thing all about? Um, Why do we celebrate it? And I think to understand uh, Advent this morning, I want to talk about two things, uh, sound and rhythm. If you were to go and stand in your kitchen for long enough, uh, and if you were quiet enough, you would hear a a noise that sounds something like this. You would hear your refrigerator noise. It's always there, always going, but most of the time we don't realize that our refrigerator is making anything. And you'll all go home tonight or today and stand in your kitchen and feel like, can I hear my refrigerator? But, uh, you know, the refrigerator is always making noise. Sometimes the compressor kicks in, it gets a little louder. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's uh, a little quieter. Maybe if you have an ice maker in it, it, you know, shoots some ice cubes out every so often. But uh, for the most part, the refrigerator noise is just there. It just goes on and on, and it, it's just this constant white noise. Take another, uh, another noise, another sound, I should say, uh, For uh, instance, a hammer, hypothetically, a lovely wood hammer and a piece of wood. If you, we, we live in a semi and so, which means we share a wall with our neighbors. Have you ever been in a situation where your neighbors have been putting up pictures or have been building a shed outside? There's this sound, right? And it's this sound that becomes so grating on your nerves, right? Or if you're nailing in a hammer, or if you're nailing in a nail like me, it sounds like this. Right? 
But there's something about that sound. It just grates on it. And it's because it comes in such irregular patterns. Take another sound, for instance, a snare drum. To be honest, the snare drum and the wood are not that different. The snare drum rattles a little more, but it's just a bang, really, when you think about it. But the question is, what turns that sound into music? And it's timing. It's rhythm. If you take the snare drum sound and you put it to a rhythm and a timing played with regularity, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, the sound begins to become music, right? And it doesn't matter how complicated it gets. It doesn't matter how simple it is. It's music because it's played with some intentionality. It turns the sound that we hear that can be so grating on our nerves and it turns it into music. In fact, if you are so bold as to get a couple of us together, shave our heads and paint them primary colors, we could even go ahead and turn this hammering into some music. If you, I'm talking about the Blue Man Group, if you didn't get that reference. But... Uh, Right? What changes what the Blue Man Group's regular old sounds into music? It's their intentionality, the rhythm that they're going through. See, we are all experiencing this low-grade refrigerator noise in our lives. Maybe your week sounds something like mine. Monday, wake up, get the girls out of bed, try and convince them to brush their teeth, drive Nora to school, go to work, come home, take Nora to gymnastics, go back to work for a board meeting, go home, go to sleep. Tuesday, wake up, get girls ready, drive Nora to school, drop Steph off at work, take Hannah to gymnastics, pick Steph up from work, take Hannah and Steph home, drop them off, go to work. Uh, run youth in the evening, come home, go to sleep. Wednesday, wake up. Then girls get ready, take Nora to school, stay at home and watch Hannah, pick up Nora from school, come home, make supper, eat supper, take girls to swimming lessons, come home, go to sleep. Then Thursday, and then Friday, and then Saturday, and then Sunday, and then repeat. Right? Maybe yours is more wake up, eat breakfast, brush teeth, go to school or work, go to the office, change another diaper, do another load of laundry, write a check, fill a tank, cook a meal, and then repeat it all over again. It's refrigerator noise. It's this constant, ongoing schedule that never stops, that never ends. We just do the same things over and over and over again, week in and week out. And then we get to this time of Christmas and it's like, okay, so I got to do that plus I got to go and see all my family members and I got to go get them Christmas gifts and then I got to go return them because I realized that they're bad Christmas gifts. Then I got to go get good Christmas gifts that they actually want and then I have to go meet with all these people that I maybe see, maybe don't see, maybe like, maybe don't like. Then I, you know, going to have to spend all this time and the craziness of the season just begins to pile on and overwhelm. And so I'm just wondering, is that really what this season is supposed to be? Is that really what Advent is supposed to be about? I think that 
God has God has something in uh, in His mind for the Advent season, and I think it's rooted in a kind of a non-traditional place from our regular Christmas story times. And so I want to take you there. It's to Leviticus. You didn't see that coming, did you? Leviticus chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, and it'll be up on the screen if you want to read it long or you can look it up in your Bible. And it says this, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. An official day for holy assembly. It's the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. In addition to the Sabbath, there are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days of holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. Now, before you get all on me after the service, I am fully aware that Jesus was not born on December 25th. And I'm fully aware that the uh, season of Advent was not written into the New Testament. It is a much later, well not much later, but it's a later uh, arrival, it's a, a later thing. But the reason I believe that this passage speaks to that is because while we don't maintain the same uh, festivals, the same Jewish festivals and the same calendar that the Jewish people were going to, the early church was very conscious that there was still a need to have a church calendar. There was still a need to have certain times that we would separate and set apart and say these times are not going to be like every other day. And so we have times like Lent and we have special holidays or, and times like Advent, and we have special holidays like Christmas, and we have special uh, times like Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday, and we Pentecost Sunday, and we have all these things that are worked in, that the early church worked into the calendar because they believed that it was still necessary for us to maintain a rhythm. Otherwise, the refrigerator noise has a tendency to take over. And if this, sorry, and so when we read Leviticus, what we're reading is, just to give you a quick background, right, is that God calls out a people out of the world. He says, you are going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And uh, he, you know, leads them and provides for them through the story of Joseph, and they come into Egypt. But eventually they're put into slavery in Egypt, and God says, you're my people, I'm not going to leave you in slavery. And he raises up Moses, who leads the people in Exodus out of uh, Egypt. And as he leads them out, he says, "Not I can't just set you free, you are my people. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you a new way to live. And why a new way? Because the way you've been living in Egypt as slaves for hundreds of years is not what I have in mind for you. See, the, the Israelites in Egypt had the ultimate refrigerator noise. It was get up, make bricks, make bricks, make bricks, eat, sleep, more bricks, bricks, bricks. Tomorrow will be just like today. Bricks, 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 bricks. Right? And God brings them out of this place and he says, I am going to not just leave you in this place of constant refrigerator noise. I'm going to give you some rhythm. Six days you have to work and one you shall rest. And that shall be the Sabbath. Six and one. Six and one. 
And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's rooted in the very creation narrative of the cosmos. God himself, clearly someone who doesn't need to take a day off, who is all-powerful, he takes a day off to say, this day is my day. It will be holy. You learn from what I've done. Work six, rest. Six and one. Six and one. And so this idea came of days, uh, of days to work and days off. Of festivals to, uh, you know, make sure that you were remembering. And this rhythm began to emerge. Six and one. Six and one. Six and one. Six and one, six and one, six and one. And there was this ongoing thing that we're not going to make every day like the next. See, and so when we get to Advent, the rhythm of Advent is supposed to be this time set apart. This time where we say it's not going to be like the ongoing of every day. Pay attention, something is happening here. The God who created the cosmos. We are sitting in anticipation of the culmination of the year. We know that Christ's coming, it ushered in a new, a new trajectory in human history. And so this Advent, we sit in anticipation and we allow the Holy Spirit to revive the hope within us. This morning, as we're entering into Advent, the week one is the candle of hope. And hope is a funny thing. See, we have a lot of ideas about what hope is. Hope is sometimes this passive wishing, or maybe even not so passive wishing. Hope is sometimes when I blow out my birthday candles and I say, I really hope I get a Play-Doh barbershop set. None of you had that as a kid? Come on, that was the best toy. Or it's, hope is, you know, saying, blowing out the candles and saying, I really hope I lose 10 pounds this year and then never going to the gym. I'm not throwing my eyes at you, James. No, just. Uh, <laughs> we take this passive wishing and say it's hope, but that's not hope. Hope is also not viewing the world with rose-colored glasses saying, oh, you just need to be more hopeful. You just need to be more optimistic. Optimis optimism is, is not bad. I'm not saying optimism is bad, but don't call it hope. Viewing the world with rose-colored glasses is not hope. Hope is more than just being positive. And hope is not just our wishful dreams. Hope is not the things that we always wanted to do or want in our lives. Why? Because these things are always limited by our own abilities. See, if I wanted to be a professional basketball player, and I wanted to play for the Toronto Raptors, it is not going to happen. I am well aware of that. But I can wish and wish and wish that I want to be a professional basketball player. But as long as my vertical is measured in centimeters, it's not going to happen. See, that kind of hope is always limited by our own abilities. 
In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says about this kind of hope, that hope is not based on our abilities. In fact, believing in our own abilities is not hope at all. See, hope is the belief that God is going to bring us into a place that goes so much further beyond our abilities that we will not be limited by our shortcomings and our failures. In fact, he goes on to say that hope is actually greater than assurance because assurance is based on what we see, but hope is based on what we do not see. See, we get this idea that somehow we can make ourselves hope more. We can just be more hopeful. You know, if I just believe it more, if I just deny, or if I just deny my doubts more, if I just try really, really hard, if I somehow, you know, mind will it into existence, like, you know, like somehow I'm going to become more hopeful. But the truth is that hope is a work of the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 15, 13, it's up on the screen. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the hope is a work of the Holy Spirit. I was having a conversation with Allie uh, last week about the fruits of the Spirit as she was getting ready to teach it to the kids. And she was saying, you know, one of the things I don't want to communicate to them is as we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that what I'm telling them is just be more kinder. You can do it. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and bringing it forth from us. Hope is not a be more hopeful. Hope is a work of the Spirit where the Spirit comes into us and brings that hope out of us. But the problem is, Before we can allow the Holy Spirit to restore the hope in our lives, we need to let go of some lies that are hindering Him. And I think that there are three main lies that are preventing the Holy Spirit from bringing hope into our lives. The first one is cynicism. We live in a world ripe with cynicism. Don't put your trust in them. They will do nothing but let you down. Don't get your hopes up because you will only be disappointed. Don't put, you can't trust that church that politician, that institution, that authority, because everyone will let you down. It's cynicism. And it's a lie. The second lie that we believe that is ripe in our culture is fatalism. The idea that we are all just objects of fate. 
And even those of us who probably don't believe in fate, those of us who think we're free, you know, Arminiast free thinkers, free choosers, however you want to put it, we still operate in a level of fate in our daily lives. This situation will never get better. This situation will always be like this. Nothing will change. This person is always going to do this to me. This person is always going to feel like that to me. It doesn't matter what we do. Fate will always have its way. This decision that this youth has made will drastically hurt the rest of his life the rest of her life. Her promiscuity will taint her forever. That fatalism, that it will be this way, and there's nothing that can be done about it. And the third lie is self-worth. Or I should say, the lack of self, self-worth. This is the best that there is for me. I don't deserve anything better than this. I am not even worth God's time. No, you don't get it. God doesn't use someone like me. See, those stories, those dreams, those healings, those miracles, those are for someone else. Those are for other people. They're out there. They're not for this time, for me, in my context. Those have nothing to do with me. My place is in the background. It's an observer. It's a supporter. We don't say observer. We say supporter. My place is not to be the one who receives that kind of healing, that kind of miracle, that kind of amazing breakthrough. They are nothing but lies. And if we buy into and we believe these lies, then there is the Holy Spirit is bound by them because we're going to continually act in opposition to the hope that God has given us. If we set our life on this fate track or on this idea that I am worth nothing or on this constant cynicism, if we constantly are moving down that track, we are totally in opposition to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. Because the Holy Spirit's message is it's not all bad. There is hope. There is someone who's going to make everything better. You are worth something. You are precious in God's sight. He pursued you. You can trust people. They are here. I have put them in your life for a reason. And things that are right now are not always as they will be. There's this thing called redemption. The choices you've made are not forever binding on your future. And unless we get to the place where we can let those lies go, the Holy Spirit has no room to operate. See, our desire here at Trinity is to see a people 
that would be able to identify the lies that the, that the devil has whispered into their ear through their context, through their relationships, through their situations, through the culture, even directly. That we would be able to begin to, begin to identify those lies that the enemy has put in our way. And we would say, those are lies and they have no place in my life. I will be destined by hope. I will be set free to go after the very best that God has for me. This morning, I I forewarned you that we were going to kind of switch things up a little bit. And what that's going to look like over Advent is we're going to talk about our themes and what we're kind of driving at. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. And we're going to spend some time in prayer and reflection. And then we're going to end in a congregational prayer together. And so this morning, what I'd love you to do is grab a journal, grab a piece of paper in the pew in front of you, or maybe you brought something with you, or I can throw you some of my, you know, this side of my notes because I don't need them anymore you need something to write on. And we're going to spend some time in reflection, some introspection. What are the lies that the enemy has placed in my life that I have been believing that has been keeping me from hope? And so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you some time to just uh, think about that as the we're going to put on some just some instrumental music and uh, give you some time to, to pray, to reflect, and then I'll, I'll close when we're, when we're all done, all right? So why don't I just uh, start us off. Father, I thank you that you love us so much. That the Christmas story is a story of your passionate pursuit of us. Father, and we know that even this morning, in this time, you are pursuing us. You are here to meet with us, to speak to us. And so, Father, I just pray that you would reveal right now, begin to reveal what are those lies that we've been believing? What are those lies that have been stifling hope within us? Father, I just pray for these people right here that they would, that your Holy Spirit would just begin to bring things to mind for them. That they would be able to reflect deeply on those things that you are desiring to remove from their lives. In your holy name. Amen. Spend some time and just Ask God to reveal to you the lies that you have been believing, the lies that have been stifling hope.
as we think about those lies that we've believed, the good news is there is hope. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would again move amongst these people. That we would recognize these lies and then begin to be able to repent and confess. And then begin to ask you and seek your word on what it is that you really believe about us. About our situation. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would begin to speak the truth and hope and love into these people and into their hearts this morning. Father, I pray the source of all hope that you would move in and amongst us this morning. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? And we're going to end this morning with a, a congregational prayer. As we pray in one voice, confess in one voice, and believe in one voice. We worship you, God, the source of all hope. I repent of selling your power short. I repent of believing that this situation and relationship will never change. I repent of selling short the power of God to change the situation. I repent for my attitude of cynicism. I open myself up again to put my trust into you and those you have created and placed in my life. I repent of believing the lies about myself. I know now that you love me and desire the best for me. I repent of devaluing myself, your creation. I repent of walking away from the things that you have planned for me out of fear and hurt. I believe that there is more for me. Thank you for pursuing a relationship with me through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a little baby, living amongst us, and showing us the true way to live. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit, who is living and active amongst us today. Thank you for hope to every situation. Fill us with hope this Christmas season. Please teach us your rhythms for humanity this Advent. Amen. Amen. Uh, you're more than welcome to join us in the uh, foyer for some tea and coffee as we fellowship. If there's something that you would like to talk about more, or maybe some prayer that you'd like to receive, you're always more than welcome to come and flag down one of the pastors or elders or deacons, and we'd be more than willing, and we would love to pray with you this morning. So... You're dismissed into this Advent season. May it be a time of rhythm and reflection and a break from the refrigerator noise. Amen.